Brilliant Misfits, Episode 76, with guest Mary Lou Coombe, helping children to recognize their brilliance. Just everything you do, do it consciously. (laughs) Aim to do it consciously with awareness. And if there's a special child in your life, in fact, you know what, even if there's no special children in your life, the next time you meet a child, just be very aware and conscious in the way that you speak with them and behave around them because you would be making an impression on them. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Aisha Kennedy. Welcome, everyone, to Brilliant Misfits. Welcome back if you've been listening. And if this is your first time, uh, a super welcome. I really appreciate everyone that comes and listens to the show. There's so much value here. I talk with women from all walks of life, and they share their personal stories, their journeys, and how they've come to be brilliant at what they do. Most of them have a misfit background, and I find that extraordinary that those misfit times that maybe in the moment we didn't really enjoy, end up being the gifts in our lives. And today, my guest is Mary Lou Combe. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Is that right, Mary Lou? Mary Lou Coombe, yes. Yeah, Mary Lou Coombe. And she has a fantastic story. She's currently working with families and children to empower them, especially children, to empower them to have a strong self-belief, to know that they can do whatever they want. Welcome, Mary Lou. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gorgeous, for having me here. I feel very privileged. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I feel privileged. So here we go. Now, I mentioned that about empowering children to have a strong self-belief. This is your work. This is your passion. But I want to go back and just share with the listeners your personal story because it's, it. you know, you were born in Lebanon, you moved mm-hmm. to Australia at a young age, and you didn't speak a word of English. So let's go back to that time and just, I'd love you to share how that was for you. What was that like? Um, so we moved to Australia exactly um, 30 years ago today on the 15th of May, 30 years ago. I was 10 years old um, and it was a really scary time for me. I I loved being in Lebanon. I loved the friends that I had, the family that we were surrounded by. So packing up and moving to a country that was so far away um, was quite daunting and I really, really um, – despised my parents for it for the first five years that we lived here. Um, I struggled a lot. I went through a lot of um, bullying, um, being picked on, teased, you know, all the stuff that kids do um, to those that don't fit in the norm. I was an easy target. I had no idea what they were saying. Um, I'd get shoved around a lot and, you know, just yeah, I just I could I couldn't find my place in those five years that I that I'd moved here. I just could not find a place where I felt like I belonged or a place where um, I felt like someone understood me. Um, so it was it was really tough. It was really really tough, you know, um, going to English school, trying to pick up a language that I actually didn't even like. <laughs> um, my background, I speak I speak Arabic and French, and I love those languages. So it's just really hard 
to get my mind around English. Mm. Um, having said all of that, though, um, we went, at 15, bordering on 16, I went back to Lebanon. I went back to Lebanon with my grandparents only um, and that was a real eye-opener because I was born in the city and my grandparents lived in a village very, very vast way of, you know, upbringing and culture, even within the same country. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was just very interesting to learn about my role as a female, especially without my very strong mother there protecting us um, and what that meant, um, you know, to, to be there. <laughs> um, and what did that, that was mean? A, yeah. Like, how, what was that like being a female? Well, let's just put it this way: I got three marriage proposals at the age of fifteen oh, wow. um, <laughs> from guys that wanted to obviously get the Australian passport and come out here. <laughs> That's what it was like back then, you know. It was, mm. it was um, Australia was seen as this land of opportunity, and you know, we do whatever we can to get there. Um, but I just couldn't go and come as freely as I could back in Australia. Yeah. Um, you know, at the age of 15, 16, I started catching um, a bus to school and, um, you know, my mum trusted me to help around the house and, you know, be left alone at home. I couldn't do a lot of those things when I went back there. Um, How long were you there? We were there for three months. Right. So it was a, a whole term of school that my grandparents took us back and really wanted us to, um, you know, just go back and kind of reconnect with our country. But I... At the time, it was it was absolute torture. Like it really highlighted, you know, um, I didn't have the freedoms that I had here. Um, I I just battled a lot with my grandparents over a lot of trivial things to us, but over there, they're just seen as a big no no, especially being a girl. Um, yeah. And you know, I just really realised what what I thought, you know, of being such a horrible experience coming to Australia turned out like it just really gave me that clarity of oh my gosh I actually do have it really good back at home in Australia <laughs> and I think since then um, I joke you know about this with my husband from time to time because he's full-blown Australian for generation um, generations and I joke with him that I'm more Aussie than him now and I think <laughs> that experience really defined for me where I belong where is home um you know, um, yeah. How I saw how I saw myself. Like, wh where where do I fit in? And and you know, I, and then I came back and built a tribe of friends and connections and belonging. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah. So yeah. Everything everything is a disguise, right? Like a value in disguise, really. Like we might be having a hard time going through it, but really, when we look back, we can go, oh my gosh, that was a really pivotal moment in my life. Isn't it amazing? Go down this path. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so maybe we should remember that when we're going through hard times that, oh, like, you know, chill out because something good is happening here. We might not see it, but like we'll get through it and we'll look back and say, oh, that gave me the strength for this. That gave me the resilience for this. I learned about that. So yeah, we can, I think it's a really important point to look at those times like when we felt like we didn't belong, we didn't fit in and see them and see the pearls that have, um, you know, come from that, those times Absolutely. that we struggled. So how did you get into the work with children? Because, you know, I know that you're a coach and you work with, you've been working with people, but I think it was when you had your children that 
you really mm-hmm. started to step into what you're meant to be doing. Absolutely. Look, I um, went to uni and I did a degree in social science with psychology and sociology as my majors. And I really have I've always wanted to help people, um, you know, be the best version of themselves. Like that was something that I wanted to do from quite a young age. Um, I think, you know, I babysat when I was younger and I know that when I've always been around children, they put a lot of things into perspective. Um, just go, I, I advise any adult to go hang out with a child, um, especially if it's not their own because it's a different kind of dynamic there. And you you notice your vibration change and the things that seem so big. Like I remember, you know, when I was 16 and I used to go babysit these gorgeous little kids that I still keep in touch with actually. Um, you know, I'd be like I'd have a bad day at school or whatever and then I'd go babysit them and everything was just about games and fun and it, they just made you forget everything like the world was just this happy simple place um and then when I was 25 I lived in the U.S. for a year and I wanted to travel around um and just see that part of the world and I was an au pair for a year um to three young children um six months two years old and four year old and they taught me a lot they really opened my heart up to what it's like to be around children and I started noticing the way that we speak to kids and language and all of that, right? Mm. Um, and then I came back and I I was really focused on travel in my 20s in particular. So I travelled a lot. Um, but it wasn't until I had my own children and I went through um, some turbulent times with having a premature baby and my expectations not being met and being faced with a little bit of postnatal depression and anxiety, um, it made me reassess a lot. You know, you get to a point like, you know, I, I, um, I hate saying this, but I did get to a point where I understood mothers who take their own life and the life of their children. Like that, I was in that dark place where I wasn't going to do anything about it, but I understood the emotions that could come behind that because of the helplessness and just the exhaustion and the, you know, not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And I questioned a lot about what it was that I wanted for my own children and how to be, how could I be the best mum for them, for myself, for them, for the whole journey. Um, And That's when um, I was very blessed with somebody gifting me like a total random act of kindness from a stranger and they gifted me a ticket, a very expensive ticket to a very powerful seminar that I attended on changing our mindset and behaviour. And I think that's when I kind of went, what am I really passionate about? And, you know, I feel like I came back that full circle of coming back to working Within my psychology degree, but not as a psychologist, I just saw coaching as a much more powerful modality for the change and the help that I wanted to bring through. Um, And I did start working with parents originally with a company that um, helped parents in stress. Um, And the more parents I worked with, the more I felt really drawn to actually help their children and work with children and empower children. Um, My biggest thing is I see so many people um, at, you know, the age of 40, 50 plus that are really screwed up, like really, um, you know, 
peeling a lot of layers of their, th- these layers that they've built on, like, you know, like an onion and they're working through all these emotional stuff and, you know, wanting to reconnect with their inner child. And also at this time I've been doing yoga for quite some time and I know that was my biggest saviour, especially in those dark early stages of motherhood. And I started, you know, tapping into that a lot more and thinking to myself, well, how can we empower people the younger, the better, where we're all going to go through stuff in life. Like I'm not delusional about that. And, you know, the work that I do with children isn't about, oh, this is so a child never feels pain and never feels anything terrible in their lives. Like I actually am a believer that we need to have discomfort in our life to grow and to um, <laughs> to be able to understand you know, you can't you can't understand happiness, and you can't understand um, you can't be grateful for stuff that happen in your life if you don't have things that that are equally like on the opposite spectrum. Like it's life is yin and yang. Um, but what I really started thinking about is how can we make people in general in the beginning, like from as young as possible, be um, equipped with skills where they are mindful, they're conscious, the things, you know, the choices that they make, they come from a conscious place where they're making it. Um, They're empowered in their decisions and their thinking rather than just following the herd and the masses. Um, And I started just putting offers out there speaking to both parents and children and it kind of evolved from there and the you know the older my boys grow I know this sounds um <laughs> you know I, I feel like they've been gifted to me so that we both can make this change in the world in helping other children and um the more I play with it I think you know it will be down the road of um yoga and mindfulness and bringing in all the learnings of some great big teachers like Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and you know, some brilliant psychologists that work with children like Maggie Dent and Steve Bidoff and kind of bringing all that work together and helping very young people tap into their whole mind, body and soul um, so that when they are faced with these, you know, um, big moments in their life, just to come back to centre and kind of have the skills to do that. So that would be, you know, and I think also my own upbringing and, Um, You know, one of my dreams would be to have a space where all children have a mentor that they are able to go to. Um, That's really nice. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And there's some brilliant organisations that do that out there. And I'm going to give a plug to an organisation that I do volunteer with at the moment called Raise Mentoring. Um, I am so impressed with what they do Um, and I go in every Tuesday morning for two hours in a classroom in a high school and mentor some very young, bright, um, gorgeous children who have been identified as, you know, um, special and just needing a mentor and I would love it one day to see everybody in the school having some form of mentorship um, where they can go to, you know, a space where they're not judged and they can speak what they feel and unpack things without it really being looked at as a problem. Because, you know, we all know, um, especially through adolescence, they don't, um, you know, you may feel one thing one minute and the next minute it can be gone. Like one minute someone could be your best friend and the next minute they're not and then they are your best friend again. It's working through all of that and that's how we build um our characters like that's what that's character building right um and so it, you know just to create that safe space where 
um, children can do that without it being seen like, oh, my gosh, you know, you've got mental issues or we need to really dig deep into that or mm. um, just to have that safe space to be would just be awesome for every child, I think. <laughs> I love what you're saying. I really do love what you're saying. And it it reminds me, you know, like um, – well, I, I believe that anything that comes from the mental realm, um, you know, the thinking mind is, mm-hmm. is about problem solving. I mean, the mind is just designed that way. You know, it's designed to look at things as a problem. And actually, <laughs> I don't think there is a problem in anything, but it's the way we've been trained to look at things. And what I hear you saying is that, you know, you're, you know, you would really love to provide children, parents with another way of looking at something, maybe even getting more into listening to themselves and their intuition and not relying on outside situations to dictate to them, but to really have that strength yes. to listen to their own, you know, their own soul or whatever you want to call it, their own knowing. And, yeah. um, yeah, well, I think that inner compass, don't we? We all have an inner compass. Absolutely. And growing up, we get in, you know, we get we get told to shut that down. You know, we need to listen to teachers, and we need to listen to our parents, and we need to listen to every other adult that thinks they know better than us. Um, and you know, in a lot of instances, yes, adults do know more because they've experienced more and they've lived longer than a child has. And a lot of people come from a really well-meaning place for the child when they don't want them to do something or do something, I just invite people to have a look at the way, where the intention's coming from, to have a look at something a bit differently um, in the way that that can empower that child and really help them to learn about um, natural consequences and, um, you know, yeah, just dig into like, okay, what does my heart really tell me? What does my gut tell me? Like when I get that butterfly feeling in my stomach, what does that actually mean? Why am I feeling this way? You know, how can I rectify this or, um, you know, even maybe sit with it and see where it takes me? Um, you know, I always um, say this thing to parents is like, what if we made friends with all of our emotions, like the good and the bad, the anxiety, the anger, the sadness, the happiness, the joy? Like, what if we made friends with all of them and didn't always swing on the pendulum of always just wanting to feel good and avoid feeling bad? Because that's also what the brain does, doesn't it? Like, yeah, we're, well, we're, you know, we're wired to pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're wired for pleasure. So anything that's not pleasurable, it's like, oh, my God, get me out of here. Like, you know, we go immediately to escape mode. And hmm. I think it's so valuable what you're saying. And, and I think it's coming around a little bit, too. Um, I yes. think children today have much more opportunity than someone like from my generation. Um, we had nothing like that at all. And I've spent a lifetime, as you say, peeling away the layers of the onion <laughs> <laughs> to not, to listen to myself and not pay attention to everything else that's out mm-hmm. there dictating. So, <laughs> so it's a you know, really well, beautiful like thing. I think if we have a look, you know, I, I'm, I just, I get really amused almost when I hear, you know, the phrase of like, oh, my gosh, our kids have got so much available to them. I didn't have this when I was younger. And yet, you know, suicide rates are higher. Anxiety, yep. you know, more kids are self-harming. And, yep. you know, we've got, we have we do have an issue with suicide that really seriously needs to be looked at. Why mm. um, is this happening with us? Mm. And I truly think it's because we have 
not we don't equip our kids to really go internally take responsibility for the way that they feel and feel empowered that they can change that and do something about it rather than rely on outside sources to provide that um and another thing is to tap into yeah okay today i feel crap but what is that about what is my body trying to tell me you know when i'm feeling sad or when i'm feeling stressed what is going on in my life that I need to pay attention to that I need to come back to, you know, and, 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 and understanding that we are whole and complete with all of this stuff happening in our life. Like we doesn't, we're not, we're not only complete when we um, reach a certain goal that we're trying to reach of whether it's, you know, um, great school marks or getting that job that everybody says we should get or, getting, you know, acing our NAPLAN test or whatever it may be. Like we are whole without all of that. And Absolutely. Complete. I love uh, it. It's so, tr- <laughs> it's so true. And I think um, the earlier in our lives, I mean, everyone has their own destiny and dharma, but like, you know, being able to understand that, that things change, that, you know, it's not your happiness and your wholeness is not dependent on this thing that you think you want or this, because everything is in flux. And, you know, there's that solid part of us that is never, ever changing. And, you know, to, to be able to get people to really recognize that in themselves, you know, then, then there's, it, it just can shift so much, so much can change. And the other thing that, you know, that you're really bringing up that I absolutely am so happy that it is coming up is this whole idea of um, our humanness, you know, like we have the gamut of feelings and emotions. And yet, like you say, you know, only the good feelings, you know, we can't feel sad, or we can't be angry, all these you know, <laughs> sort of self judgments, even or judgments from society that, you know, you have to be a certain way. And we're human. And, you know, humans just have the whole range of emotions and we and to be able to you know deal with it and work with it you know we're learning how to be human really yes absolutely see wouldn't that be a really awesome class to have on how to be human and have emotions yeah. <laughs> i think that yeah. would be just so much more useful than even some of the mathematical like classes and you know um <laughs> and you know spelling spelling classes that we have and I'm not saying we should not have those they're important our brain needs them for development but it would just be so awesome to see more wellness and you know what the epidemic that I see happening with our children these days um is a cry to the world, just like, you know, when we have uncomfortable feelings within ourselves, it is a cry to the world saying, this is not bad, something just needs to change here, we need to pay attention on how we are teaching, responding, speaking to our children these days. And that's why I'm such a big advocate for things like neuro-linguistic programming or, you know, gentle parenting. Although I don't like labels, that's the things that have been labelled, but I think they bring so much, um, you know, focus on the way that we speak and the way that we show up and the way that we condition the children's mind from quite an early age. Mm. Um, So, you know, I think it's really important that we look into those sort of things, not just because we're we're coaches or we're teachers. I think I'd just do everybody some good to learn about these things in the general public. (laughs) But that's not my job yet. My job is just now to focus on children. (laughs) 
and talk to whoever would listen about this sort of stuff in general, yeah. um, especially those that do, you know, affect children. Because the, the younger children, um, you know, um, are exposed to this, especially when it comes to terms of language and the language that we use for them, especially from those first seven years, you know, the wiring of the brain and the blueprint that happens then. Um, the, the the easier it is to help a child become um, more resilient and respond to things in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. we we who we are so much, or who we think we are, I should say, who we think <laughs> we are, <laughs> is so much about what we were taught we were, you know, and that starts at a very very early age, you know. Um, and as I go through life, I know that who I think I am is not who I really am. And when, and I think that's a beautiful thing that what you know to teach young children that, you know, <laughs> that like, yeah, not take all these things on and to keep investigating and exploring, yes. like, who am I? What yes. do I love to do? You know, and, and really encouraging them to follow their own yes. curiosity and their own excitement and what, wherever that leads them to. And not based on what somebody else says of them. No, you know, exactly. like once I worked with this gorgeous young nine-year-old who was going through a lot of anxiety and was being quite bullied at school, and it was just really interesting to disarm her. Sorry, to disarm the bully in her mind and arm her with um, techniques where she can actually go, "Oh, okay, you think I'm ugly? So what? I don't care." Yeah, and see how that changed the energy that she took into the relationship of being bullied. Um, it's all about taking our own responsibility. You know, there's that saying, it's like we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to it. Mm. So teaching that to children from quite a young age, and especially children, you know, they're quite reactive. They're quite, everything's about them. They're quite egocentric. They're quite reactive. Everything's about in the moment. They don't see long-term goals. Like, you know, the brain's not even fully developed until you're 25. You cannot expect children, adolescents, you know, when I say children, I, I really do lump that in one big ball of, you know, under 25s. <laughs> it's, you know, you just cannot um, process things in the way that an adult does. Mm. And it's just silly of adults to even think that's possible. And I think it would be really beautiful for as many adults as possible, especially those in, you know, um, positions of power and influence with children to understand how the brain works so that they can then get the best results with children based on that information. Yeah, and there's a lot of tools out there. You know, you mentioned um, NLP, mindfulness. These yes. are things that can be taught. And, um, you know, I would imagine children are, are pretty readily, easily teachable uh, for those they sorts are of amazing. tools. They really are. Children are just, you know, um, sometimes I question myself going, you know, I'm a mum, I'm always around children, I work with children, I crave some adult time and I, uh, that that is part of why I have another business that actually deals with adults. Um, but my main passion is children and when I, you know, do a little bit of coaching with adults, I just go <laughs> after a little while, you know, I, it's not that I don't enjoy it, I do, but I'm taken back to I really love being back with kids because they get things. They get them so much quicker. Um, they, they like the penny just seems to drop for them, but I don't also know if that's the way that I say things to them, um, but they pick things up much quicker. Like even with yoga, I need to just do two classes with a child um, and give them a few little techniques on their breathing and they seem to remember it, whereas an adult gets so caught up with the rat race of life that, 
they don't practice it as, as often as a child does. <laughs> so it's really interesting working with them and they're so impressionable. And when you give them, um, when you give the brain evidence of how something works, it is more likely to want to repeat it. This is just with any brain. But with a child, because it is impressionable and it hasn't got, um, you know, so much filled into it yet with all these experiences and, you know, beliefs that get uh, made up as they grow older, it's just much easier to, to, to filter that information in. Mm, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, they don't have all the stories accumulating over a lifetime. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the onion, that those layers, they don't have those. Yeah. So they just, um, you know, and they're a joy. And I think because, um, uh, you know, um, my inner child loves to come out and play a lot, um, my heart fills up too. Like it's a two-way street, you know. So I'm giving to these kids, but they give me a lot back too. Um, I, I just love getting my inner child out and having fun and playing. And the beauty is we're not just playing, we're learning through all that playing. Mm. Um, well, playing you know, is learning, isn't it? I mean, it, Massively, because when you make something fun, in fact, that's how I learned English. I learned English through music more so than going to a classroom and sitting in front of a blackboard. I learned English more through card games um, and flashcards when we made it a fun game rather than sitting again at school in front of a blackboard <laughs> because it was fun. It was fun. And so I was able to... Um, you know, retain the words and the memory of the language much better <laughs> um, than, you know, just sitting there and being kind of told rather than experience, learn and feel. I think that's yeah. so valuable what you're saying. And and it's true. I mean, play, when you're enjoying something, it, it, you get more embodied where the other thing you're <laughs> describing where like you're just staring at a blackboard I mean, it, yeah. it just kind of stays on the mental realm and that never really drops down into the body. No. You don't really get it on that bodily level. <laughs> exactly. It's nice to see some classrooms changing um, in that way. Yeah. And it's really nice also seeing a lot of parents think differently about the way their children learn. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just, you know, I think I think for adults, it's, it's, it's all incredibly valuable. Um, you know, that sense of play where... You, you're playing and and it's just about playing. You're not worrying about, well, where is it going? You know, what is it going to result in? And all those things that happen, like we get very result and um, outcome driven. And not to say that's bad, you know, we have to do plans and have outcomes and stuff. But sometimes Absolutely. just having uh, time to play without those, you know, time space constructs is is so valuable. It's so nourishing. And um, so it's not just children, but I think adults can get a lot out of this too. And especially oh, what you're talking about, like listening to your gut and going with that and, you know, questioning feelings, <laughs> not just running away from them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. valuable stuff. Now, what are some of the things that are highlighted for you because I know when you had children, they everything changed for you. Like what are some <laughs> of the beautiful um, uh, gifts and, and experiences did you, have you had with them? I'm sure there are lots, but is there some highlights that stand out for you? With my own children? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, oh, there are so many. I, I just think, again, um, you know, finding that value in everything. So parenthood is hard as it is, you know, navigating all these things that you've never 
done before and you're not only responsible for yourself but you're responsible for another human life. I took that responsibility very, very seriously. Um, The biggest thing I think for me is going back into my centre and asking myself what are my values, what is important to me in the way that I raise my children. And did that Um, sort of spill over into your work and your values? Because that I'm sure that's probably part of your values of what you bring through. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, And, you know, being aligned with that so that when you have conflict um, within your life, it's really important to just go back and see how your actions are aligned to your values and your intentions of how you want to live your life. You know, um, that's, that's so valuable. Really, yeah, really important for me. And you know, it's not something that I do on a daily basis. Like I fall off the wagon. I think we all do. That's part of being human. I think what's really important is to understand that, though, so that when you do fall off the wagon, you know how to get back on um, and stay on track. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you one other thing before we sort of wrap it up. Um, I know that you offer um, a gratitude workbook. Could you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is where I think this um, workbook was born is because I have faced, uh, you know, many situations in my life. I feel like I've lived quite a few lives in, you know, um, moving here and then I've been previously married um, and, you know, that's another probably whole podcast on its own but having gone through that and how I came out the other end and then, you know, having children um, and going through the PND and all of that, I think um, I had to find a way to rewire my brain in the quickest possible way. And I practiced my gratitude workbook for a year before I actually put it out to the public. Um, And what it's about is rewiring your brain to see the value even in your crappiest situations. And sometimes that may not happen in the moment. Over time, though, if you are able to practice this in hindsight and spill it over into the moment practice, believe me, it could happen. So about three years ago, um, I was given a gratitude challenge amongst some other things that I had to do. Um, and on day 14, I got woken up in the middle of the night by my three-year-old at like 1am or something. And he'd weed the bed, like he was, you know, toilet training out of nappies in the evening and woke me up at one. I was exhausted. I'd only just started getting into a deep sleep. I come in his room um, and my first automatic thought was, thank goodness for mattress protectors. Whereas I swear 14 days before that, like when I started the challenge, my first thought would have been, oh, shit, I'm so tired. I wish, you know, like I just wish I'd put a nappy on him or something along those lines. About 14 days into doing this gratitude journey, uh, gratitude um, challenge, I, my automatic thought was, thank you, you know, thank God for mattress protectors. And that was a big woo moment for me going, hang on a minute, there's something about this gratitude stuff that works quite quickly. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I kind of, you know, started 
documenting some things and I, I had a gratitude um, Facebook group and I would run different challenges in there and have a look at different results with different people. Um, and this gratitude workbook was born and it's basically um, I teamed up with an artist who um, drew some very gorgeous and inspiring artwork, Mandela's um and just different images so that people can also use it as a mindfulness tool. Oh, uh, beautiful. And it's about almost 90 pages long and it has three different sections and different challenges broken down into the sections. So the first section is all about, um, you know, just general gratitude to get you into the practice. The second one is all about um, self-love and how you can find gratitude for yourself. So it's all built on ways that you can change the neural pathways and build new um, neural pathways in your brain to be able to view things from a value perspective rather than from a lack or a missing out perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Even that beautiful example that you gave, thank you for sharing that example of yourself. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like <laughs> I had this great visual of you coming into the room and, you know, the bed has been peed on and and <laughs> and... <laughs> And, you know, it takes you out of um, a personalized story of like, this has happened to you. Oh, my yes. God, I am tired. Yes. I am this. <laughs> and it takes you out of that personalized story to a much spacious place of being able to just say something that is so much more, um, yeah, just like objective and just seeing like, oh, thank you that that's happened. Like seeing like yeah. that it's not a catastrophe and... I, that little example is huge, just huge, and I really appreciate that share. And and I do believe gratitude just shifts everything. It really it does. Really shift does. It and really when you're does. feeling crappy, you don't feel like being grateful, and you can acknowledge that too. You know, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't it's not feel about like being grateful about today. Shoving. Yeah, yeah. No. It's not about shoving those bad feelings no. away or how you feel away. No. It's 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 a natural. Um, it's training, right? It's like mm. when you go to the gym, you don't expect to build muscles overnight or, you know, but as time goes, you start eating better because your body is feeling better and you're just slowly changing the muscles in your body. It's no different for the brain um, to do that as well. Yeah, beautiful. Wow, yeah. thank you so much, Pearls of <laughs> Wisdom, coming in here. I love the work that you're doing, Mary Lou. And um, if anyone wants to um, explore a little more about what Marianne's doing with children, you can go to her website, which is Mary Lou. Um, what is it? Mary Lou. MaryLouCoom.com. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And I'll put that on the show notes so that it's easily accessible. People can go and have a look. Um, you have your gratitude workbook on your website. So if anyone's yes. interested in that, you can explore that a little bit further. Thank so, you. So is there any one last thing that you would like to um, leave the audience with? Just everything you do, do it consciously. <laughs> uh, aim to do it consciously with awareness um, and if there's a special child in your life in fact you know what even if there's no special children in your life the next time you meet a child just be very aware and conscious in the way that you speak with them and behave around them because you would be making an impression on them absolutely thank you <laughs> thank you so much gorgeous <laughs> thank you. I loved having a conversation with you today and all the best in your beautiful work thank you much gratitude to you thank you likewise thank you all for being here today if you enjoyed the episode 
please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.